Here's today's transformational truth. An unguarded heart can produce unnecessary delays. Welcome to the Transformational Truth Podcast, where we're committed to eliminating the obstacles that take the joy out of life and leadership. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Here's today's transformational truth. An unguarded heart can produce unnecessary delays. Today, I want to talk to you about the importance of a leader's heart. This is going to be a rich conversation. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. Can I tell you something? Eight out of 10 times, the lid on a leader's life or the lid on a person's life, regardless of where you're leading or what you're doing in life or what your calling is, the lid typically is pain that has not been resolved within the heart. And Scripture addresses this concept head on with this incredibly powerful and strong statement above all else, above everything else. The thing that we need to place as our top priority is guarding the heart. Why? Because everything we do flows from the heart. Our relationships flow from the heart. The quality of those relationships, our marriage flows from the heart, the quality of it, the way we give and receive love, the friendships we build, the callings that we are answering, the careers that we feel called to pursue, destiny, everything flows from the heart. And eight out of 10 times, I, I promise you that in my experience and coaching leaders and helping leaders has always come back to this one thing. Pain has not been dealt with in the heart. And because that pain hasn't been dealt with, fear has been produced in the heart, uh, insecurity and pride. And all of these things ultimately hinder our destiny. Okay, it produces unnecessary delays. But I need to take a moment, first of all, because I want to give you today three things that every leader needs to guard his or her heart. But before I get into those three things that will help us guard our heart, I want to take a minute and, and help us understand our heart from a biblical perspective. Okay, so according to Scripture, after the cross, or at the cross rather, Jesus instituted something called the New Covenant. Okay, so God is a covenant God. There are five covenants in Scripture. Uh, there is typically speaking what you hear about in, in church or what you read about in the Bible are old and new covenant. We live under the new covenant. The new covenant is established with the blood of Jesus. It is a covenant of grace. The law of Moses was the old covenant. Uh, that was a covenant of law and earning. The new covenant is a covenant of believing and receiving. Okay, now here's why this matters. Because within the budget of the new covenant, God included a brand new righteous heart for every person that puts their faith in Christ. That's right. Okay, let me say that again, because this often gets missed in the church world. Okay, we often quote Jeremiah the prophet who says, my, my heart is uh, uh, deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can possibly know it? Uh, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you can stop quoting that scripture over yourself because that's no longer true of you. 
All right, this is why it's so important to understand Scripture in proper context. I always say, every time you take the Bible out of context, what you're left with is a con. All right, you can no, you should no longer be quoting that verse, that, that your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things who can know it. That was true about you before you put your faith in Christ. That's not true about you after you've placed your faith in Jesus. After you place your faith in Christ, Scripture is very, very clear. On more than one occasion, the Bible says there's a, prophetic word, speaking of this new covenant that eventually would come. And the Lord says, I'm going to put a new spirit within you and I will give you a new heart. I'm going to replace that old hard heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And then the Lord says, I'm going to write my character upon your heart. Okay. So within the budget of the new covenant, God included in that budget, a brand new righteous heart for every single believer. Here's why that matters, okay? Number one, your new heart has the divine capacity to receive the Father's desires for your life. (laughs) That's right. The old heart, forget it. It could not possibly receive the Father's desires for your life. But your new righteous heart? Oh, yes. He gives you the desires of your what? Your heart. Right. Why? Because you have a new heart. Your old heart could not receive the things of God. Your new heart, absolutely. It is a righteous heart. Uh, The character of God has been written upon the heart. All right. The second thing this means, having a new heart because of Christ in your life, is this. His word and character is now written there on your heart. So your heart is righteous. That means that your heart naturally wants the things of God for you. Your new heart wants the things of God for your future. It wants the things of God for your family. Absolutely does. This is why the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7. He said, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And he's talking about the struggle. He said, if I try to live under the old covenant, guess what? I keep messing up and slipping up and I end up doing the things that I don't want to do. What does he mean when he says that? Well, the things that he wants to do are righteous. The things that he wants to do are holy. The things that he wants to do are the things that are written upon his heart to do. And he's describing in that passage just the, the, the reality of our minds being renewed from the old to the new. So this is very important to understand this. So this is why I tell people all the time, uh, after you put your faith in Christ, you're never going to be a good sinner again because your heart has been rewritten. You've got a brand new heart. Okay, you want righteous things now. Uh, So if you step out of your righteous identity in Christ and you do sin, uh, you're you're not going to be happy. You're not going to be fulfilled. You're going to be miserable. Uh, I tell people all the time, you are going to prove that you're righteous. You will. I don't have to do anything. You're going to do that, okay? Either by living righteously and being fulfilled or by trying to live unrighteously and being totally miserable, which both are evidence that you're a new creation, all right? So you have a new heart. The third evidence that you've got a new heart is this. Your heart is now soft to the things of God. That's what scripture says. He said, I'm going to give you a soft heart. So so you having a new heart is vital to understand when we have this conversation around guarding your heart. Okay. So let me give you now, all right, three ways every leader needs to guard his or her heart. All right. Um, if you're listening to this and driving, you can't write this down. You're going to want to maybe write this down later on. I'm going to give them to you in advance, and then we're going to break them down together. Okay, here's the three things that every serious leader needs if you're serious about guarding your heart. Okay, number one, confession. Number two, correction. And number three, connection. All right, let me say it one more time. Number one, confession. Number two, correction. And number three, connection. Let's break these down. Okay, confession confession leader brings healing. All right. James chapter five or 16, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now it's interesting because we often sometimes we do this in the church sometimes, right? Um, Not intentionally, 
But we usually gravitate towards the passages of Scripture or the portions of Scripture that kind of are the easiest to implement. <clears throat> Let me give you an example. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. Most of us, if you were brought up in church, you know that verse. But we often don't know that it's the second part to the verse I just read to you. <laughs> we often skip over the hard part. Confess your sins to each other and pray that you may be healed. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't know what's going on with, with my throat this morning. Um, <clears throat> we skip the hard part and we go over to what feels like the easy part. Well, let me just pray, you know, these hot and heavy prayers and that's powerful and effective. And we miss the context. So James is saying, here's the thing. If you want to experience healing, begin confessing to who? To each other. Okay, because confession produces healing in the heart. All right. Out of the heart flow the issues of life. Wow. So when we learn how to confess to each other, our failings and our feelings, okay, this is both of those are important. Our failings and our feelings, it has the capacity to cleanse the flow of our heart. So when we confess our sins, listen, you're not a sinner anymore. After you put your faith in Christ, you're not a sinner. You're a saint who does sin sometimes, but your default setting is no longer sin. Okay. So when you confess your sins, when you confess your fears, to each, when we confess our fears to each other, we confess our failures, our insecurities to each other. Guess what begins to happen? We begin to heal. Your heart begins to heal. And this is one of the ways as a leader, you guard your heart by confessing to one another the stuff that's going on in the heart that you're tempted to keep hidden. All right. Because most of the major moral failures that, sadly, that we've seen in the last 12 months or so uh, in the media and the body of Christ, it, it came from people hiding stuff in the heart that had they brought into the open and confessed to somebody. I am totally convinced their heart could have been healed and they could have gotten victory before that battle took them into a dark place. So part of the reason, okay, of confessing, or back up, part of the reason confession is healing, all right, is because confessing is humbling. Okay, let me say it again. Part of the reason confession is healing is because confession is humbling. It helps us shovel away the pride that's living around the soil of our hearts. If we want to guard our heart, we need to practice confession. Okay, it makes room for this harvest of humility. And listen to me, with humility comes healing. Because some of us are walking around totally forgiven. Okay, but we're not healed because we won't open up to anybody about what we've been carrying in our heart. So we're going to heaven, but it feels like hell on earth. Okay, and that is not the Father's will for your life. Let me be clear right now. I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm talking about your healing. All right, let, let me make this distinction really clear because the Bible says that when we come to the Father and we confess our sin, we're forgiven once and for all time. Uh, this is really, really important. All right, so First uh, John chapter uh, 1 and verse 9, all right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. All right, how much unrighteousness? All, all unrighteousness. That's past, present, and yes, ladies and gentlemen, future. The moment you came to Christ and you put your faith in Jesus, in that moment, you confessed you were a sinner. He, you were forgiven of all unrighteousness. Now, the word all there is really important. It's the Greek word. Uh, in the English alphabet, it would sound like this, P-A-S, pas. Okay, and it means the whole, every, any, all. All right, so you went from having a sin nature and being a sinner who wished they could be a saint to placing your faith in Jesus and becoming a saint who does sin sometimes. But let me be clear. Those sins were already paid for in full at the cross, past, present, and future. 
Okay, this is really, really important. I'll, I'll tell you why this matters in just a second. The Bible says that there remains no sacrifice for future sin. Okay, Jesus paid for it all on Calvary. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Listen to me. Uh, Jesus does not go back to the cross every time we mess up. Uh, he's not dosing out forgiveness in like little thimblefuls of forgiveness, you know, daily. This is really, really important because some of us think, you know, when I talk about this confession concept, oh man, I, I, before I go to bed tonight, I've got to make make sure I confess every single sin. If I had a bad attitude, or if I if I had a, a bad word for somebody today, if I had a, a, a sinful thought or a sinful deed, whatever the case might be. Well, if I forget to confess every sin, I'm going <laughs> to, you know, I don't know what God thinks about me. Uh, I, if, if I go to bed and I, you know, when I was a kid, I used to pray this prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. It was the scariest thing. Uh, I, I don't know you know, why we teach our kids that prayer. It just freaks kids out. I remember not being able to sleep. Like, oh my gosh, am I going to die in my sleep? And if I do, do I go to heaven? How does this work? Yeah, listen, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he's forgiven all of your sins. Yes, you're good. And this is why this matters. Because this is not our ability to recall. Our salvation does not hinge on our ability to recall how many mistakes we've made. All right. It hinges upon our faith in Christ and the fact that he already paid for all of our sins. All right. This is important. The context of 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 is twofold. The unbeliever who has not yet placed their faith in Christ... Okay, and the believer who placed their faith in Jesus, but they're not sure how forgiven they are. So when I'm talking about confession, when we confess to God, we're forgiven of all of our sins. But when we confess to each other, this is how we heal. This is how we heal. So it is vital as leaders. If we're serious about guarding our hearts, I'm telling you, the, the moral failures that we see, um, <clears throat> the issues in marriages uh, that we see, uh, broken down relationships that we see, uh, uh, ministries that have been sidelined that we see, almost almost always come back to, in many cases, a leader who had no one to confess to or was afraid to, or, or maybe sometimes pride is sitting in the driver's seat of our life and we don't want anyone to know that we're human. Uh, listen to me. So many of our major issues that, that are flowing from the heart that take us down these paths of delayed destiny and broken relationships could have been resolved if we would have practiced this glorious gift, this biblical gift of confession. Okay, so leader, if you're serious about leading, you need to get serious about guarding your heart. And if you're serious about guarding your heart, you've got to get serious about confession, all right? Number two, correction. Listen to me carefully, leader. We never outgrow the need for correction. All right. This is vital because sometimes as, as leaders in the body of Christ, as leaders in the kingdom of God, we sort of, if we're not careful, we can get kind of prideful and we can start to be like, well, correction is for everybody that follows me. And we forget corrections for everybody. Correction is a gift for all of us. And it's dangerous if we, if we allow pride to sit in the driver's seat of our lives and we don't allow God-honoring biblical correction to guard our hearts. Listen to me carefully. Correction isn't rejection, it's protection. Now, now I get it, okay? Whether it comes directly from God the Father, you know, through His Word or in a time of prayer, or if it comes from someone that God placed in our lives, someone around us that, that loves us, Correction initially rubs us the wrong way, all right? It, it, and it can feel super awkward. 
There is nothing, I repeat, nothing in our unrenewed mind or the unrenewed parts of our mind, rather, that likes correction. Nothing, okay, because correction plays on insecurity. And if we don't know who we are in Christ and we're kind of working that out, then nothing will make us question our value like correction. Okay. In fact, I'm convinced one of the lies of the enemy when it comes to correction is to interpret someone's correction as saying, I'm superior to you, rather than I'm a brother or sister in Christ who loves you, who cares about you, who's concerned for you. Because despite how we feel, the Bible says that loving correction is an absolute gift to us. And it is vital, listen, if we're serious about protecting our hearts, oh goodness, you don't believe me? You know, uh, in my neck of the woods, um, I, I live in Metro Atlanta, uh, school's back in session. Let me tell you something, if you don't think correction is necessary, just ask teachers who right now are receiving other people's kids into their classroom uh, if correction is necessary. B- because there is, quite frankly, there's this, this, this disturbing trend uh, in our culture to not practice Biblical God honoring correction at home with our kids, you know, and and it's you can see it in our culture, you can see it all over the place. Kids are not being corrected at home. Uh, there's this crazy idea that if you correct kids, it's going to stifle their creati- creativity. That's re- that's ridiculous. Some of the most creative people in the world have absolutely argued against this point. Uh, it's it's erroneous and it's not biblical. And because we're not practicing God honoring correction, we've got kids who don't know how to understand. They don't understand relational uh, boundaries. They don't understand environmental boundaries. Um, and there's rebellion and behavior issues. Guess what? Same is true for anybody who stops receiving correction. Yes, even as adults. When we're born again, we're born as babes in Christ. We begin to mature. And as maturing children of God, guess what? We all need loving, God-honoring correction in our lives. I went through a major journey of God-honoring correction in my own life, and I've been on this journey for four years, even in my understanding of God. And my understanding of how God relates to me, it's been life transforma- life transforming. It's so transformational. Don't reject correction because correction is a gift, okay? Uh, the Bible actually teaches us that we can't reject correction and protect our hearts at the same time. Proverbs 15, 32, if you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. If you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. Okay, now, that being said, That doesn't mean that all attempts from others to correct us are legitimate, okay? And sometimes what people call correction is nothing short of emotional and spiritual abuse, in which case, (laughs) run, okay? Run hard and fast uh, in another direction, okay? That's not God-honoring, and that's not biblical. But God-honoring and biblical correction that's delivered with authentic love, that's delivered with authentic concern, is a gift that according to the book of Hebrews is how you and I are trained in our righteous identity in Christ. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 12. Let me read it to you. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those that have been, keyword here, trained by it right? What did Paul say to uh, Timothy? He said, all scripture is useful for what? Training in righteousness. Your new identity in Christ is righteous, and we all have to be trained in that new identity. Okay, It's not that you're not righteous. It's just that you're being trained in it, right? Train up a child in the way that he or she should go. Uh, so, So when I was born again, I became this new righteous creation. But when we step out of that identity in Christ, okay, and say we start making these choices that are contrary to that identity, well, guess what? There's danger ahead. There's pain ahead. There's heartache ahead. 
all of the above, all of these things that God wants to protect you from. And correction is merely saying that very thing. Hey, danger ahead. There's pain and heartache ahead. Please don't go down this road. Uh, correction is merely somebody standing in the middle of the street, waving their arms emphatically, saying, hey, you're driving down a road where the bridge is out up ahead. And you can't see what's up there, but I have seen what's up there. And I'm trying to help you and I'm trying to protect you. All right. And, and actually, if you want to take the book of Hebrews or that passage of Hebrews in context, uh, Hebrews 12, 11, much of the, uh, these correcting moments in the book of Hebrews is related to Hebrew believers who are still trying to earn righteousness through their old covenant rituals and methods. But the author is explaining that they're under the new covenant established with the blood of Jesus. And by correcting them, he was protecting them from biblical error. Okay, listen. Receiving loving correction means we're guarding our heart. Okay, rejecting it means we're letting our guard down and we're opening ourselves to pride, arrogance, and possibly biblical error. All right, listen, correction is not rejection, it is protection. One more today. Three ways every leader needs to guard his or her heart. You ready? Here's number three. Connection. Connection. If you're serious about guarding your heart, then we need to be connected to people. In fact, if you look at my first two points, you'll notice they have something implied, something in common. They both imply a relationship with others. Confession and correction requires connection. Why? Listen, it's hard to practice confession and receive correction if you're not connected. Because you can't just confess to anybody. Because not, any, not just anybody is mature enough to handle the stuff that you're wrestling with. Not everyone's mature enough or has the right perspective or the healthy perspective to be able to sit with you in your wrestlings and your struggles, okay, in your failings. So you need to be connected with somebody. And you might be saying, well, Travis, I, well, I would like that. I just don't have that. Well, listen, you can start today. Begin to pray today that God will help you identify somebody you can begin to cultivate a genuine and life-giving relationship with because you need to be connected. Because if you're not connected, you probably won't receive correction. You can't practice confession and you're going to be isolated. Okay, this is vital. If you're serious about guarding your heart, then we need to be connected to people. Listen, one thing that almost every tormented heart and every deceived heart has in common is that isolation came before deception. Let me say that again. One thing almost every tormented and deceived heart has in common is that isolation came before deception. Proverbs 18 and verse 1. It says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he rages against all wise judgment. Okay. In other words, when we begin to isolate ourselves, oftentimes it's because we've decided we're gonna, we want to do what we want to do, and we're going to do what we're going to do, and, and that's just the way it is. And oftentimes we, we do it because we don't want to get hurt again, and we just want to kind of settle in with our pain, and, and we know it's not the healthy thing to do, but we withdraw anyway. Um, because I'm seeking my own desire. I don't want to deal with my pain. I don't want to deal with my pride. I don't want to deal with my insecurity. So I'm going to isolate myself. And, and just by saying, as you're listening to this, you can already kind of put, uh, put the pieces together and connect the dots. Okay, yeah, this is the recipe for disaster. This has all of the makings of the perfect storm in somebody's life. Now, I need to make a distinction between solitude and isolation because we don't often understand that there is a big difference between those two. Solitude is good. Solitude is healthy. Solitude is briefly coming apart 
to commune with God the Father, right? You bring your thoughts and your feelings to God. Solitude's a good thing. Solitude is a place of clarity. Solitude is a place of, of clarifying uh, vision and mission and, and getting the heart of God. Solitude is, is a place of uh, getting uh, direction for destiny. It's, it's, solitude's always a blessing. It's a good thing. It's where you can quiet yourself and listen to the still small voice. That's solitude. Isolation, whole different story. Isolation is relational alienation that opens the door for deception and eventual devastation. When we disconnect from people, we're left alone with our thoughts and our feelings. And here's what I've discovered. The enemy loves an isolated version of us because it's in isolation that the enemy manipulates our imagination. Absolutely true. Okay. And, and maybe, <clears throat> maybe the root of an imagination running wild came from our past, or maybe it came from uh, an unrenewed thought. Uh, maybe we're just dealing with bad information. And before we realize it, it, in that place of isolation, fantasy becomes our reality. I mean, the Apostle Paul addresses, he said, we have to learn how to cast down imaginations. Okay. Because oftentimes we start to form these unhealthy and untrue perspectives when we're in isolation. We're not connected with people. And, and you know what? We can actually start to create offenses out of thin air. Out of thin air. I mean, in our minds, we start to build offenses that aren't even real. We start adopting beliefs about ourselves or other people that are not rooted in truth. And when we're not connected with meaningful relationships, we can experience Christ through that relationship. Okay, and we don't have the benefit of their perspective to save us from our own limited perspective or our own deceived imagination. And before you know it, you know what? We're disconnected and the guard around our heart has been let down and offense and jealousy and fear and anger uh, and resentment start creeping into the soil of our hearts. Yeah. And before you know it, you've lost your joy and you've, you've lost your peace and maybe you've even lost some relationships over a perception that could have been cleared up by a good friend who said, hey, actually, I, I think there's more that you don't know. Or, hey, can I offer you my perspective of how I see things? Or, hey, I don't think, I don't think that thought is really rooted in truth. Can I give you a, a different perspective? That's why I think Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 10, the essence of that verse kind of speaks to this, right? Woe to him who's alone when he falls, and he doesn't have another there to, to lift him up. Okay, now you need to be connected. I need to be connected. We need to build God-honoring, life-giving, trustworthy relationships, okay? This is vital. And if you've been hurt before, then I totally understand the temptation to shut down. Look, I, I, I totally get it. I, we've all been there. As leaders, we've all been there. I get the temptation to shut it down. Okay, but I want to encourage you today to resist that temptation because the walls you built to protect your heart over time become prison walls. Okay, it imprisons your heart. Because I know you didn't want to get hurt, but those walls don't just keep you from getting hurt. They keep you from getting healed eventually. They keep you from getting healthy. They keep you from giving and receiving love. Okay, caveat to that. Just make sure that the relationships you build with people are with people that lift you up, not with people that trip you up. Okay, let me say it again. Make sure that the relationships you're building with people are relationships that lift you up rather than trip you up because expecting the right things from the wrong relationships will produce real pain. All right, let's recap really quick. Three ways every leader needs to guard his heart. Number one, confession. Number two, correction. And number three, ah, connection. 
All three are incredible gifts. Let's recap today's transformational truth. An unguarded heart, an unguarded heart can produce unnecessary delays. Listen, if transformational truths is helpful you do, please do me a favor. Take a moment, go to Apple iTunes, rate the show, and write us a quick review. I want to help you restore the joy to your life and your leadership. Until next time. Thank <laughs> you.